0: Good morning, Valley Evangelical Free Church, and to any others who are watching from somewhere else. We are really glad to have you with us today. My name is Zach Kaiser, and I'm one of the elders here at Valley. I'm excited to share God's word with you today. Megan, thank you for leading us in worship. We appreciate that. We first want to recognize all of the fathers and fatherly figures here today. Thank you for how you lead your families for how you provide for them and care for them. You are truly appreciated. You serve an important role in your family, in your church, and in your community. I pray that you enjoy your day today and hope that you feel loved and respected by your families. Now, you may be surprised to see me up here today. I've never actually given a sermon before and I never thought I'd ever give a sermon. But here I am today, um, standing in front of this camera with bright LED lights shining in my face. Um, And that's okay. It is what it is. And I'm happy to be here. And I'm also not alone. I've got Caleb and Alicia here with me. Pastor Mike is spending time with his family this week, and I'm just really happy to step in and share the message for you today. I know that it is an honor and a privilege to share the Word of God with you And I've been praying that I can deliver his message and his truth well, and that he would prepare a personal message for you today. The topic for this sermon is God is our Heavenly Father. Now, I knew today would be Father's Day, and the first thought that came to my mind was, what does it mean that God, the creator of the universe, who stretched out the heavens, who always was and always will be, that he is also our Father. It's amazing to me that God, who is all-powerful, all-knowing, present everywhere, the source of truth and wisdom, that he also wants a special and personal relationship with each one of us. It's truly incredible. This next part is a bit more personal, and I want to be sensitive in how I say this. I know that having a good earthly father is not always the case, and it's not always possible. There are many of us who suffer from fathers who have not been around, who have not been really involved in our lives. So when some people think of God as their father, they might automatically start thinking about their own dad. The way your dad treats you or treated you in the past is going to impact your view of God as your father today. For example, if your dad was neglectful, you might feel that God is distant and that he doesn't care. Or if your dad always made sure you had everything you had, you might think of God as loving and always having your back. I'm not trying to dig up bad memories of our dads, and to all the fathers who are listening to this sermon, I'm not trying to make you feel guilty or relive your mistakes. I'm just trying to highlight that there is a difference between how our earthly fathers can love and care for us compared to how our heavenly father cares for us. For me personally, I was very fortunate to have a good dad growing up. In order to help you get to know me more, I'd like to tell you a little bit about my dad. He is a great father, he raised me well, he taught me important things. And made it clear that i could come and talk to him about anything he was honest with his mistakes and was really good about apologizing in front of us kids when he knew that he made a mistake he provided for us he put us first and he was a great listener i could go on and on my dad has also been my friend and has been a supporter of my hobbies and interests here's an example of that which really impacted my life today. So one day as a kid I was watching Toy Story. Sid had his toy rocket and Buzz and Woody used it to catch up to their friends by strapping the rocket to their backs. You might remember this scene in Toy Story 1. They zoomed down the road and they caught up to the truck which which is where their friends were. And all of a sudden they went soaring straight up into the air. At the very last second, they freed themselves from the rocket, and it exploded. I thought that was so cool. This was actually a defining moment for me in my life. At nine years old, I set out to build my own rocket with items that I found around the house, and I tried making it look just like the one in Toy Story. A toilet paper cardboard roll, a paper nose cone with fins, and cotton balls for the fuel. It looked awesome, and it was ready to fly. Now getting back to my dad, he watched as I built this rocket, and we went outside together to launch it off. Now he knew, of course, that it wasn't going to fly. There was no way possible. But he was there for me anyway. So he lit the piece of string, which was the fuse, and my little aircraft, instead of soaring up into the air, it just kind of sat there and burned. He was right, it didn't fly. But the cool thing was that my dad did not discourage me from this activity. Now dad, I'm speaking to you right now because I know that you will be watching the sermon. The reason why that day was so important to me is because you supported me in my interests. That interest grew into a hobby where in high school I built more rockets that actually did fly. And you were there to watch me. We won't talk about that one rocket that didn't have a parachute. That hobby ultimately led me into my engineering career because I realized I really love designing and building things. Now that I'm grown, my dad's help has transitioned more to listening, giving advice, sharing wisdom, and just enjoying the friendship that we have. I am thankful to have a strong relationship with my dad today. And I'm fortunate that he has set a really good example for me of what a good father looks like. So now I want to ask you, how has the role of fathership been presented to you? How has it been lived out for you? We all have our own idea of what fatherhood is. We all have assumptions or expectations on how a father should act and conduct himself. And those expectations come from many different things, like our own experience with our dad, watching other people's dads, or what we see in movies, TV shows, and books. It all impacts how we perceive fatherhood and what it means to us. So if you don't have a supportive father in your life, you're probably looking for someone to fulfill that role. And I'm telling you right now that God is your perfect heavenly father That can fulfill every need you have for that relationship. No matter how your dad treated you, it does not change the way that God feels about you. For men who are fathers or who are longing to be fathers, you may not have had a good earthly example of what fatherhood looks like, and I want you to know that God is your perfect model for fatherhood. You can look to him So here it is, the main point of my message today. How does God as our Father act for us? If he's not around to throw a ball, go fishing, or help us with math homework, what does he do? We'll be looking at scripture together to learn about how God as our Father fulfills that role perfectly. I want to start by quickly mentioning that God has created you, and he knows you. Isaiah 44:24 says This is what the Lord says Your redeemer who st- who formed you in the womb I am the Lord maker of all things who stretched out the heavens who spread out the earth by myself So the God who created everything created you specifically Luke 12:7 says Indeed, the very hairs of your head are numbered. This is just a quick example to show that God knows every detail about you, and he knows you by name. That's a good father. As we dig deeper, we will be looking at a few other characteristics of God as our Father, and what makes him such a great father. The first one that we'll look at this morning is, God provides for our needs. We will be reading Matthew six twenty-five 25-33. Follow along with me. Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is life not more important than food, and the body more important than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Who of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to his life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the lilies of the field grow. They do not labor or spin, yet I tell you that not even Solomon, in all of his splendor, was just like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow, is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? So do not worry, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. The background here is that Jesus was traveling throughout Galilee, teaching in synagogues and preaching the good news of the kingdom, healing every disease and sickness among people. Now Jesus had, Jesus' news about Jesus' word had been spreading all over the region and a crowd had been forming from people from all over. Jesus walked up to a mountainside and sat down and he began to teach them many things. One of the important truths that Jesus is teaching here is that God provides for his children. Now, I remember learning at a very young age that there are three basic necessities for survival. Food, clothing, and shelter. And I find it interesting that two of these things are being directly addressed in this passage. Food and clothing. The third one, shelter, will actually come in a little bit later. Jesus is saying that there is no need for us to worry. As an example, Jesus points to the birds of the air where they do not work to find food. They do not worry about finding a safe place to store it away. But the heavenly Father feeds them anyway. The other example Jesus uses is the grass of the field. It is clothed with lilies, which were much more magnificent than the clothing that King Solomon had. Just a quick note on King Solomon. According to 2 Chronicles chapter 9, he was richer and wiser than any other king in the world. Other kings and rulers uh, from nearby regions would bring him literal tons of gold and silver, and he had many things made from them. Just imagine the type of person King Solomon was and the types of clothes that he was wearing. And Jesus said that our Heavenly Father will provide clothing that, I'm going to rewind a little bit. (laughs) Just imagine the fine clothes that he must have had. And Jesus is saying that just like how our Heavenly Father clothes the grass of the field, God will all that much more provide for our own clothing. Our Heavenly Father knows that we need these physical things. And they will be provided to us if we seek his kingdom and his righteousness first. That's the promise in Scripture. The overall context of this teaching is that we should not worry, and it all hangs on this one truth, that every human being is much more valuable to God than the birds of the air and the grass of the field. You are highly valued by God. In Malachi chapter 3, God says this about the people who fear the Lord. They will be mine in the day when I take, make up my treasured possession. I will spare them, just as in compassion a man spares his son who serves him. So no matter your age, your position, occupation, race, gender, God has redeemed us because we are valuable. We are worth everything to him. So to summarize this first point, God provides for our needs as our Heavenly Father. The second characteristic of God as our Father that I want to look at today is that he is our protector. And here's where that third necessity for survival comes in, shelter. I'll be reading Psalm 91. It's a little long, but it's important to help me make my point and I want you to grasp the full context of God's protection. Follow along with me in Psalm 91. He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will rest in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, he is my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. Surely he will save you from the fowler's snare and from the deadly pestilence. He will cover you with his feathers and under his wings you will find refuge. His faithfulness will be your shield and rampart. You will not fear the terror of night nor the arrow that flies by day, nor the pestilence that stalks in the darkness, nor the plague that destroys at midday. A thousand may fall at your side, ten thousand at your right hand, but it will not come near you. You will only observe with your eyes and see the punishment of the wicked. If you make the Most High your dwelling, even the Lord who is my refuge. Then no harm will befall you, no disaster will come near your tent, for he will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. They will lift you up in their hands, so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. You will tread upon the lion and the cobra, you will trample the great lion and the serpent. Because he loves me, says the Lord, I will rescue him, I will protect him, for he acknowledges my name. He will call upon me, and I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will deliver him and honor him. With long life, I will satisfy him and show him my salvation. The context for this passage is that the author is explaining that people who are faithful to God will be protected. It's a psalm of confidence in God's protection. We can certainly learn a lot about God's character from this passage and we can apply the truths to our own lives today as we go through hard times and suffering. As believers today, we can have strong assurance in the security of God, in the security of God's shelter. As I think about God as our protector, there's one point that I'd like to dive into from this passage in Psalm 91. It's that God is our fortress and refuge, which means that we have a stronghold available to us as a place of security, providing protection from any kind of attack. I wanna jump back to a different Psalm, Psalm 18, uh, to give you a quick visual illustration. David was writing in Psalm 18 about God as his rock and fortress and deliverer during a time when he was hiding in the wilderness from his enemies. The Hebrew word that David uses for fortress can be translated into Masada. Here is a picture of Masada. It was a massive, prominent feature of the land, towering into the sky and having steep cliffs. King Herod the Great built palaces for himself on top of this mountain. It had an unshakable foundation of protection and strength. This is how David viewed God's fortress and refuge. Jumping back to our passage here, Psalm 91. As I studied this passage, the other crucial thing that I remembered is that God has already fulfilled these promises to us. Through the life, suffering, and death of Jesus Christ, he has achieved victory over sin and death. And it's because of God that he can ultimately deliver all trusting believers from all types of suffering. We can have confidence in our Heavenly Father that he will protect us from the dangers and the challenges that we will face today. As it is written in Psalm 46, the Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. The third point that I thought was important to share is that God disciplines us. What is the first thing you think of when you hear the word discipline? The kids might think of receiving a punishment, whether that means being grounded, getting sent to your room, getting a toy taken away or a favorite activity taken away. Parents might think of it as, well, my kid didn't do what I wanted them to do, and now I have to do something about it. As a parent, you're probably thinking about the best way to instruct your children in what's right and wrong, and then clarify what the consequences will be if they don't obey. Here's a definition of discipline. It's the practice of training people to obey rules or a code of behavior using punishment to correct disobedience. In my own words, I would say that it's a process of intentional instruction of right versus wrong followed by consequences in the form of punishments to reinforce correct behavior. I remember times when I was disciplined for not following my parents' instructions. I was a pretty good child, right, mom and dad? But when I did act out of line, a common consequence for me when I was younger was to stand in the corner. It was called corner time. That was actually a better punishment for me than being sent to my room because that's where all my toys were and I'm an introvert, and time away from people was actually quite nice. So standing in the corner was actually a a good good discipline for me. So as I stood in the corner, um, feeling a little bit embarrassed and lonely, with nothing to look at except the wall, and and just studying the texture of the paint, I was thinking about the situation and what went wrong, whether it was my fault or my parents' fault. After corner time was over, my parents would always clarify to me what their original instructions were, how I disobeyed them, and then they taught me how to apologize. At the time, I hated the punishments, of course, but now that I'm grown, I actually really love and respect my parents for disciplining me the way that they did. I'm glad they did what was hard in the moment, which was to discipline and punish me, and I just really respect them for that let's look at how God views discipline. We'll be reading Hebrews 12, 4 through 11. Please follow along with me. In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. The author is saying that they have not been persecuted to the point where they have died. And you have forgotten... That word of encouragement that addresses you as sons. My son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline, and do not lose heart when he rebukes you, because the Lord's discipline because the Lord disciplines those he loves, and he punishes everyone he accepts as a son. Endure hardship as discipline. God is treating you as sons, for what son is not disciplined by his father? If you are not disciplined, No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. This passage has a quote from Proverbs 3, 11 through 12, in which we learn that God disciplines those he loves and punishes everyone he accepts as sons. The author goes on to say that God treats us as sons. It proves that there is a father-son relationship between God and his people. God disciplines us for our own good, to refine us and to make us holy. The ultimate good for a Christian is to be sanctified, which is to be conformed to the image and likeness of Christ. Deuteronomy 8, 5-6 says, Know then in your heart that as a man disciplines his son, so the Lord your God disciplines you. Observe the commands of the Lord your God, walking in obedience to him and revering him. If I can simplify this down, I would say that the purpose of discipline is to teach obedience. Discipline is God's way of lovingly correcting us. In his dealings with Israel, God provided for his children He guided them, he reasoned with them, and he punished them. And at times, some of his punishments were actually quite severe. But his punishment always had a specific purpose, which was to restore their relationship. So other than the fact that we are God's children and he is our Father, why does God discipline us? It's through discipline that we are trained to be stronger in what is right in God's eyes. God's discipline incorporates instruction, training, and correction. He disciplines us so that we can persevere when things get really hard, so that we can endure hardships, sufferings, and trials. James 1.12 says, Blessed is the man who perseveres under trial, because when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life that God, that God has promised to those who love him. When we are obedient to Christ, by following his commands and laws, we will have a better understanding of what it means to have a full and abundant life in him. When we persevere and have done the will of God, we will each receive what he has promised. But remember this, that God's discipline today is not our punishment. Jesus has already received our ultimate punishment by suffering and dying on the cross. It is only out of God's great love for us that he disciplines us. He loves us too much to allow us to remain in our own sin. So up until now, we have been looking at some of God's characteristics as a father. He provides for our needs. He protects us and keeps us safe according to his will. And he disciplines us to make us more beautiful representations of Jesus Christ. There is so much more that can be said about our God as a father. I could have talked about his unconditional love for us, his compassion, friendship, authority, and how he fights for us. What I think is really fascinating is that God has redeemed each one of us, and because he has redeemed us as his sons and daughters, he allows us to participate in his inheritance. In Jeremiah 3.19, God says to Israel, How gladly would I treat you like sons and give you a desirable land, the most beautiful inheritance of any nation. So that was an inheritance for the nation of Israel, the promised land. Now for us living New Testament times today, Romans 8.16-17 says this, The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we share in his sufferings, in order that we may also share in his glory. That speaks to what our inheritance is, sharing in God's glory in heaven with him forever. So what does all of this mean for us today? We have fathers in our churches and communities who need good, fatherly role models as they strive to do the best job they can as a dad. We have people in our churches and communities who have unmet needs because their father wasn't a good role model for them. So here are some practical applications following this message that I hope will be really helpful for you. So this is to fathers... Fathers-to-be, fatherly role models, here is some encouragement in your role. Firstly, you must keep growing yourself. I encourage you to keep growing spiritually and in your relationship with Christ so that you can be an effective leader in your family. Secondly, love your wife and uphold your marriage. Be careful that you don't go too far and actually center your life on your children. You are called to love your wife as Christ loved the church and he gave himself up for her. Don't get me wrong. It's important to prioritize your children, absolutely. But there is a certain priority or hierarchy of things that need your attention. Your relationship with Christ comes first, your marriage, and then your children. Thirdly, looking at some scriptural examples for you, the Old Testament is filled with verses about how God was a father to the nation of Israel. The New Testament is also filled with verses about how Jesus refers to God as his father. There are two passages that I want to quickly reference. So, Proverbs 22, 6. Start children off on the way they should go, and even when they are old, they will not turn from it. And Ephesians 6:4. Fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. So what does this mean practically? Don't agitate or irritate your children. Try to avoid unfair behavior and favoritism. Don't push your children towards anger. Instead, fathers have been given a positive command to teach their children about God using both education and by example. For those of you who feel a void in your life or some hurtfulness because of how your dad treated you, it might be a real struggle for you to view God as your father, who is kind, loving, trustworthy, and a faithful father. Your view of God as your father must come from the truth in Scripture, not your childhood experiences. God unconditionally loves you. And he can fulfill every need and desire you have for a fatherly relationship. He is a real presence in your life. He will not abandon you or ever leave you alone. He is there to uphold you and carry you when you need love and comfort. 2 Corinthians 1.3 says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion, and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our troubles so that when we so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves receive from God as i bring this to a close i have one final point to remind you of and that is your value and worth to God he is absolutely crazy about you and he will go to great lengths to find you and keep you You are very precious to him and you are his treasured possession. You are a child of God. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you are our Father and that you make it known to us that we have that type of relationship with you. I think about other rulers on on our planet Earth Uh, like leaders of countries, they don't know me, they don't know me at all, but you are the ruler of the world, you are the ruler of the universe, and you know me, you know me very well, and I I thank you for that special connection. Jesus Jesus said that you were his father, and, and we can call you father today as well. Thank you for your desire to have a personal relationship with us. Thank you for redeeming us and adopting us as your children. We pray these things in your name. Amen.